Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by the birthday boy, Weston Hodkowitz. Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Uh, these things creep up on you quickly. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. Every single year, faster and faster, it's coming. And I can't sit here and believe that I'm already 48, but it happened uh, <laughs> quicker than I could have ever imagined. So here we are. Well, uh, th- your, uh, your household is full of birthdays this week, right? Your son yes. uh, is coming up in just a few days. Well, and that's the other thing, too. You know, I, were any of your kids within your birthday range? No, no, okay. not close. Well, I'll tell you this. When your son's born about three days within the range of your birthday, you've now had your last birthday, so, <laughs> yeah. which is perfectly fine. The, the emphasis is in the right place. But, yeah, me and, uh, me and the kiddo share the same week. Yeah, well, uh, a fun weekend, a fun week, I should say, in the Hodkowitz household. But <laughs> with that, we have a Packers victory to talk about, and it was a 45-30 to triumph over the Chicago Bears, improving the Packers' record on the season to 10-3. and And I'll just start with this, Wes. I don't know if I've ever seen a second quarter of football like that one that we saw Sunday night at Lambeau Field. That was crazy. I watched three different games uh, that <laughs> night. The, the first quarter, it's this three to nothing kind of like slog, you know, barnstormer a little bit. <laughs> and then uh, unbelievable. Unleash the hounds. 48 points or whatever it ended up being. 45, I believe, in the second quarter. 45 alone. in the second quarter. Yeah. And then you finish off the game with the Packers having this huge defensive stand. You know, they don't, they allow seven total yards in the third quarter or whatever it was. And then, <laughs> I, by the time I got done, like I, I, I was just stunned. Uh, but here's the thing: is that 75 total points scored, 72 of them in the final three quarters. You have to find a way to win. And to the Green Bay, you know, Packers' credit, they were able to get the job done. Well, that's the thing: as wild as that second quarter was, which was big plays back and forth, there were five touchdowns in that quarter scored on a play of longer than 35 yards, which was actually an NFL record for one quarter of football based on statistics going all the way back to the 1920s, according to NFL research. But after that, after all that back and forth, and the Packers entered the second half down 27 to 21, it was domination by Green Bay, quite frankly. The Packers' offense was rolling. The defense did not allow the Bears to get a first down until I believe like four minutes left in the fourth quarter, somewhere in that range. The Packers, once the game kind of settled down, and this is what I wrote about Sunday night after we're all trying to calm down at watching everything that happened, once the game itself had actually settled down, the Packers were in complete command. Yeah, it, it was a very decisive win in that regard. I mean, I think it was pretty clear to anybody by the time the game was over, the Green Bay Packers were a much better football team, a much more complete football team, and ultimately made fewer mistakes. I, I know that it's saying something considering some of the miscues on special teams. But, right. you know, when you look at the Chicago Bears, whether it be the, the interceptions from Justin Fields, the fact that they went into that, that lull in the third quarter, they had some huge opportunities potentially on special teams that got taken away by penalties. A lot of times, Mike, this game comes down to execution and discipline. And for the Green Bay Packers, both of those things swung in their favor. Yeah, well, what we saw – Sunday night was really the Packers in a lot of ways overcoming a lot of different things and starting with the offense the offense overcame a really really sluggish start in the first quarter where there were a couple of sacks there was a botched handoff exchange but then in the second quarter the Packers started to get their groove on offense they were taking you know underneath throws 
moving the chains, you know, they, they weren't necessarily going for the, for the big play. And once that offense got rolling, the Packers were in a really good rhythm offensively the rest of the ballgame. You know what I thought was kind of the, one of the bigger plays? I would not call it the biggest because the drive didn't produce points. But one of the moments that I thought actually was really important for the Packers early on was that 32-yard completion to Alan Lazard. Yeah, when they were backed up a th- can, third and long. Yeah, it was a third yeah. and 18. Yeah. And, and the drive ended up stalling out. And obviously, you know, some things still went wrong for the Packers after that. But to me, it seemed like the moment after that, the offense really started to find itself. Lazard became a big focal point. You know, they don't have Randall Cobb, so they basically moved Alan Lazard into that slot role. Everybody moved around, but LaFleur said afterwards that was kind of the, the next guy up there. And I thought Lazard gave them, while an incredibly different type of body type than Randall Cobb, gave them a similar presence in terms of somebody that Rodgers can go to, somebody that he trusts, and ultimately ends up scoring that touchdown that I think to really get these, you know, the offense kind of clicking. Once the ball started rolling in Green Bay's direction after, uh, at that, you know, with the offense at that point, it wouldn't stop. I mean, the Packers really, the 420-some yards, whatever it was that they put together, a bulk of that happened after Lazard's catches and, and the offense catching fire. Yeah, absolutely. On the, on the defensive side of the ball, we saw the Packers give up two big plays for touchdowns in this one. There was the, the jet sweep touch pass to Jakeem Grant and then the third down slant pass to Demir Bird. And those speedy guys just uh, just took off and gashed yeah. the Packers for those long touchdowns. But I'll say this. One, I thought the Packers' defense responded to allowing those big plays in really, really strong fashion. And, and by the same token... The Packers' defense made two big plays yeah. of its own that helps to wipe out some of those big ones you allow. And, of course, I'm talking about Rasul Douglas getting a pick six, his second pick six in as many games, and then the opening Bears possession of the third quarter, Preston Smith getting the strip sack, Rashawn Gary recovers. The Packers' offense turns that into a touchdown on a, on a single play, and that was the moment where suddenly, with the third quarter starting touchdown, turnover, touchdown, for the Packers, they went from down 27-21 to up 35-27. My point is, you don't want to give up those big plays, obviously, on defense. But if defensively you can make some big plays along the way yourselves, it definitely helps to, to mitigate the damage when the other team does gas well, you. Absolutely. And, and really, to me, this kind of almost reminded me a little bit of a boxing match where you had a, an opponent that's going to throw some pretty heavy haymakers. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're going to take a few on the chin. You kind of have to bite down on the mouthpiece and keep moving forward, though. 100 yards and two touchdowns off of those two plays. Justin Fields only threw for 224 the entire game. A bulk of his production were on those two plays. And right. give credit where credit is due. I actually, you know, everyone rips on Matt Nagy and, and the Bears coaching staff. I actually think they have a really good coaching staff. I think there's probably not enough talent there. But – they get those guys open in space. They scheme things up. Those guys made plays. They put their players in a position to make plays. I think the bigger issue for them was they didn't get David Montgomery going in this game the way they were able to do it the week earlier. Even though they lost, David Montgomery was really the catalyst for them sort of finding themselves offensively. Justin Fields had to do less. Justin Fields felt he had to do more in this game. He scrambled a little bit more, but he also made some ill-advised passes as well. Some he paid for, some he didn't. But the Green Bay Packers were just so much more consistent. When you have Aaron Rodgers throwing for 300, what was it, uh, 41 yards, yeah. 140 passer rating, Justin Fields, you know, he's sitting there over on the other side of things with a 70. When there's that type of differential between the two, it's going to favor Green Bay. But more importantly, defensively, 
it's that speech. I don't want to make it out to be like this, this, you know, win one for the Gipper thing, win one for the Preston. But, <laughs> you know, Preston Smith going in there and telling the guys, this is not up to our standard. We are losing to a four-win team, a four-and-eight team that's starting to think that it's offseason. we got to play better. It's not just good enough to say that. You have to come out and perform yourself. And yeah. Justin, yeah, I should say, Preston Smith did that, set the tone for that second half and what Green Bay's defense was able to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. When a guy, when a guy speaks up in the locker room like that at halftime and says, hey, this is not who we are, and then goes out there on the second snap for the Bears and makes that play, gets the strip sack, and, and completely turns things around. That says something about, uh, uh, about leadership, but also a leader pointing to himself and, say, and saying, you know, hey, maybe I wasn't who yep. I was in the first half either. This is, this is who I am. This is who we are. And, uh, and the Packers' defense really did turn things around. And is there anything more demoralizing in the sport of football than when a guy gets a strip sack, fumble, and Rashawn Gary recovers it, and they also draw the holding penalty on the play. <laughs> they, they, they play through the hold. An incredible performance by Preston Smith. And, I mean, five sacks now in his last four games. I saw one stat, I think, from Pro Football Focus. He has as many pressures over the past month as he did all of last season. Yeah. Preston Smith, since coming off that one-game absence from the oblique, the guy's been playing with his hair absolutely on fire. Yeah, well, and you mentioned, too, how – the Packers didn't allow David Montgomery to get going, but the other statistic that really jumped out at me, and that speaks to even if you even if you put the the pick six aside for just a second, but you look at what Rasul Douglas and Eric Stokes did as the starting boundary corners in this game. Allen Robinson was back for the Bears, and he's a big time performer. Darnell Mooney's their number two receiver. Those two guys in this game, eleven targets, three catches, thirty three yards. Yep. That speaks to what Stokes and Douglas are doing and holding down their responsibilities against the, the, the top receivers for the opponent. And uh, as much as the Bears were in the game and obviously had a 10-point lead at two different times in the first half of this game, Justin Fields never really got going, so to speak. Yep. I mean, yes, it was, it was the two big plays for touchdowns. There was the punt return for a touchdown. But Justin Fields never really got going because the guys he needed to rely on, Montgomery, Robinson, Mooney, those guys weren't doing the type of damage that, that can set a tone for an offense. And, uh, and that's why the Packers' defense eventually prevailed and, here. And I want to give a shout-out here. It's going to sound like somewhat of a weird shout-out, but I want to give a shout-out to Kevin King. Because Kevin King only played three defensive snaps in this game. I imagine that that was tough for him. Yeah. But this defense is going to need him. The secondary is going to need him. We've seen how these things go. The first question, and, and credit to Matt Schneidman, it's a question every journalist should be asking to Matt LaFleur. You know, what are you going to do when Jair comes back? And, you know, and Matt doesn't have an answer for that right now. I don't think anyone does. Because for so long, the Packers' defense, and really on both sides of the ball, has been just under this, this abundance, overabundance of injuries, where it's been next man up, next man up, next man up. Well, what do you do when you start to get guys back? What do you do when guys start to get healthy? Unfortunately for King, it resulted in him not being in the, the starting lineup in this game. But when you see Rasul Douglas making the plays that he's made over the past two months, when you see Chandon Sullivan making a huge play at the end of the game in the slot, Eric Stokes, I think, is on the precipice of becoming a really good player in this league, and he's been their most consistent, healthy, viable corner throughout the season. It's going to lead to some tough decisions. But we all have all seen how one hamstring injury here, one head injury, one foot injury, it changes the complexion of the season, and especially when you look at Jair Alexander and his shoulder. Yeah. 
Jair Alexander doesn't hurt his shoulder, you might not have Rasul Douglas in Green Bay right now. Right. But the Green Bay Packers are going to need that secondary to be able to make a championship run. And I, I think even if it isn't this game, it could be the next one. It's about making sure that you are ready when you're called upon. And to Rasul Douglas's credit, man, I, have, I can't remember, Mike. I wasn't here for the Super Bowl run. But I can't remember a veteran player that came in at the juncture that he did with the low expectations that were cast upon this young man coming off of Arizona's practice squad that's made the kind of impact he has. This wasn't some undrafted free agent we didn't know about. This wasn't some guy that was playing a different position. This guy was a former third-round draft pick who Jerry Gary gave him a couple tips on how to watch film better, and he's playing out of his mind. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really been something to watch. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, you, you, we, we talk about from the Super Bowl season, you know, guys like Eric Walden, Howard Green, you know, veteran players who joined the defense midstream, so to speak, and became very solid players and solid contributors. But nobody's going to say that, you know, in 2010, Howard Green or Eric Walden is doing what Rasul Douglas is doing for this defense when, uh, when the defense absolutely needed him yeah. with Jair Alexander being out for such a long stretch. You know, and Green, he was such a great player for them, but they had Ryan Pickett and they had B.J. Raji, who was coming into his own. B.J. Raji should have been a pro bowler that year. You, you look at Eric Walden. Well, it was still the Clay Matthews show. Rasul Douglas is one of the best players on this entire defense yeah, right now. Yeah. A defense with a lot of good players. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's quite the fine. Hey, but they didn't get Stephon Gilmore. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> My goodness. All right, well, Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7. 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, I want to get back to a couple thoughts on the offense first, and then we do have to turn our attention to special teams. Yep. But offensively, there, were, there was a lot to like in this game. And I say that in the sense of in the sense of a lot to like in terms of, you know, your, your staples, so to speak, but then also these emergences. And what I'm talking about is Devontae Adams had another double-digit reception, 100-yard game, and a couple touchdowns. Devontae Adams doing his thing, yeah. right? We saw, we saw A.J. Dillon grinding out the yards in the fourth quarter, that touchdown drive in the fourth quarter that took eight and a half minutes off the clock. Dillon, I believe, had five or six carries for 36 yards on that drive. That's the kind of stuff that, that the Packers' offense is built on. That's what you like to see. But you mentioned it before, Al Lazard stepping up and having a really, really productive game. And then also... Josiah DeGuara, Mercedes Lewis, this is probably the most productive, I think almost certainly the most productive tight end performance the Packers yeah. have had in the passing game uh, since Robert Tunyon went down with his season-ending injury. And when you start to see those types of, those types of things, you just wonder how many more doors is that going to open for this offense down the stretch and as you head into January and whatnot when some of these guys who have been a little quiet, you might say, in terms of the passing production, suddenly they have, you know, Mercedes has four catches right. for 50 yards. Josiah DeGuara gets a, a few catches as well. And, and when those guys are always doing what they're doing in the run game on top of well, it. Well, and this was the Josiah DeGuara that I remembered from the opener in Minnesota a guy that's going to be able to catch passes for you at a number of different positions. He's going to be able to throw some lead blocks. He's going to be able to be used as that Swiss Army knife. He was in some I-formation looks in this game as, as that F position. The, the thing that I loved about Lewis, though, is we've seen it time and time again, Mike, 
You know how, like, Devontae Adams draws all this attention? You got four, five, six. Some teams just put all 11 guys on him <laughs> on the rope. Mercedes Lewis lulls people to sleep. Yeah. It is remarkable how he goes uncovered in this league, in yeah. the National Football League, a guy that's been doing this for 16 years that has made the production that he has, a former pro bowler himself. And it happens where they'll give him these cushions. He, he sneaks out into the flat, and nobody's within six yards I, of it. I swear defenses see him lined up in his usual position, <laughs> and they just, they just mentally immediately go, okay, he's blocking. Can and you, and they, just, they don't think it. about the possibility that he's going to leak out for a pass, and he, and he makes – now, he's not, he's not gashing anybody for 30, 40 yards, but he's making these 11, 12, 15-yard catches that are moving the chains and getting things done. Well, that's the best part about it. He has this 20-yard catch where he's just getting downfield, right? And could you imagine – Aaron Rodgers mentioned that the 23-yard touchdown play to Aaron Jones, that wasn't the design. The design of it was to follow Mercedes Lewis down the seam. Could you imagine – if he would have caught, if Mercedes Lewis would have caught a 23-yard touchdown down the seam, what would have happened in Lambeau Field? Oh my gosh! There would have been popcorn flying everywhere with chance, you know, and, and howling and, and barking and everything. But four catches, 51 yards for Lewis—that's his most offensive production in terms of catches and receptions in his three-plus years with the Packers. His most overall, going back to that week through week three season in 2017, where he had three touchdown catches for Jacksonville. The, the guy still can perform at this level, and for Josiah DeGuara to be picking up some of that Robert Tunyon load, uh, you have to see what happens with Dominic Daphne. He got pretty banged up in this game, but yeah. you know the, the Packers made that investment in DeGuara. Third-round pick, a high draft pick, because they saw the Swiss Army Knife tools and how those could be implemented in this offense with Matt LaFleur, and I, I thought that by far was his best game as a pro. Yeah, absolutely. There were some regrets from this game, however, one of those being on the offensive side, yet another injury on the offensive line. Billy Turner goes down with a knee injury. Veteran Dennis Kelly stepped in at right tackle. By all accounts, held up just fine and whatnot. Matt LaFleur suggested that Billy Turner might not be out for the season, that this might not be a super serious type of injury, but evaluation still going on. We will just have to see. He's certainly going to be out at least for something, I, 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 mean, I, I would think. But yeah. if the Packers, based on how that injury looked, if Billy Turner can actually come back at some point in this 2021 season, you'll be thrilled with that. Yeah, Billy probably set a record. I'm not saying this to make a joke. I mean, he was in that blue tent uh, forever after that injury. Yeah, they were checking him out for a long time. Usually something happens. They get him on the cart. They get him to the locker room. But they really took a look at it, and Billy was able to actually walk back to the locker room on his own very slowly, very gingerly. But the fact that he was able to do that, you hope that that bodes well. I'll tell you what, Mike. I remember Mike McCarthy used to talk about NFL teams average two ACL tears a year. Green Bay Packers are basically covered for the next three seasons <laughs> on that metric. So you hope that, that you know Turner, this thing turns out all right. You can get him back because him and Royce Newman – they were the only players on the offensive side of the ball to play every snap this season, and he's done all of it at right tackle. Uh, now, Dennis Kelly, credit to him. He came in, played really well for a dude that hasn't played in an actual game in 121 days. But still, I mean, there's a reason why Billy Turner has been that rock, as Matt LaFleur said, and yeah. Green Bay really needs him for a title run. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, hopefully the good news, there will be some more good news regarding Turner as, uh, as this week unfolds. Special team side of things, though, a really, really rough performance for the Packers. Um, alarm bells kind of going off everywhere with regard to what was going on. I'm not going to go through the litany of mistakes. It was, uh, um, it was a long list of 
some bad happenings on special teams for the Packers. And I thought the most poignant comment to me that Matt LaFleur made on Monday when he addressed, addressed what was going on with special teams the day after is he said, okay, it looks like the Packers are going to have to turn to some of their veteran regulars on offense and defense and ask them to play a certain phase of special teams, whether it's kickoff cover, whether yeah. it's punt cover, something to take on some extra duties on special teams because because the personnel that's out there right now is not is, is not getting it done, and the Packers cannot afford, absolutely cannot afford another performance like that in the third phase of the game. Not at all, because it, it you know one of the one or two of those mistakes might happen. It can't be as widespread on a number of units as it was. Right. I mean, whether it be the the punt return, whether it be the you know the muff punt at first, whether it be what happened on the onside kick, you have to be more assignment sure than that. I, I think here's, here's the biggest key. Is adding an Alan Lazard or a Rasul Douglas or adding some of these guys to these teams, is it going to improve everything overnight? No. But it would, I think, give them a much-needed boost in confidence to know, okay, there's a new variable here. Here's, here's some actual help. Here's some guys that are proven on these teams that can really assist us in our goal. I, I think that's, that's critical. I, I don't want to see you know, Adrian Amos being a, a gunner or anything like that. But you have to find ways to make things a little bit more palatable here for this unit. And realistically, I mean, it's a tough situation that Green Bay's been put in because you, you just make that switch where you start toying with the idea of using Randall Cobb on punts, then he gets hurt, right? Right. You see Equinemia St. Brown has been a really strong gunner for them this year. He gets the concussion, obviously on that, that big return from Grant. You know, the reason they actually, as much as we talk about you know, what Douglas has given them defensively, what Isaac Yadam gave them, those guys were kind of brought in as special teams guys originally. Like, that was sort of thing. We need some extra guys here because now you're going to be using some of those corners already on the roster in more featured defensive positions. So to use a Douglas, to use a Lazard, if that's what you got to do, I think you do it. Now, the only question I wonder about is the deployment of it. We have four regular season games left here. Yeah. It's important, don't get me wrong, but you also want to make sure that those guys are around for the playoffs. You need to balance how many reps they need to get to be comfortable in those spots and key situations versus, okay, doing it too early, and now you're, you're having that risk of exposure. So uh, a, a lot of decisions Green Bay has to make, but certainly uh, you look at a performance like that, you, you have to make some structural changes in order to find a way forward, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's, going, to be a, it's going to be a difficult tightrope to walk in that respect because of, because of the exposure, because of the – because of just the the extra snaps, the extra workload, and everything like that. I mean, you need Rasul Douglas at his best at cornerback in the fourth quarter of yeah. a close game. And if he's taken an extra ten or twelve snaps on special teams throughout the course of a game, as we know, all it can take is is one play. Just like all it can take is one guy on special teams on a cover unit getting out of his lane or not doing his job properly, and suddenly a guy like Jakeem Grant yes. has a has a seam and boom is gone for ninety plus yards. That's the that's the kind of stuff you have well, to guard against. And the thing you got to recall too is that it's not just that punt return, right? It's that the defense has to go back on the field after uh, that play. I remember talking to Devon House about this a number of years ago. Devon would be a jammer, uh, you know, with the, with, or I should say a gunner on the punt return unit, and then he would have to be out playing the perimeter, and you're, now you're facing off against one of the NFL's fastest receivers, and you, you've just gotten done, you know, basically running 60 yards downfield. So there is that balance, and it's something that Green Bay is going to have to weigh. Yeah. Well, the good news 
for the Packers in the big picture of things, although there wasn't anything that went right in terms of the results to help Green Bay throughout the weekend's games on Sunday. Monday night, the Arizona Cardinals lose at home to the Los Angeles Rams, which has now created a three-way tie for the top record in the NFC. The Packers, the Buccaneers, and the Cardinals are all 10-3. and three. Yeah. And right now, the Packers are the team in the driver's seat with the number one spot because of those three teams. The Packers have the better conference record. Green Bay, only two of Green Bay's losses are in the NFC, the third one obviously being to Kansas City in the AFC. Both the Cardinals and the Buccaneers, all three of their losses to NFC teams. So that conference record tiebreaker, the Packers own it right now, which means if the Green Bay Packers win out here, and finish 14-3, and three, they will be the number one seed with the first round by and with home field advantage just as they had last season. And the big reason for that, the big key to that, I think is really just being able to keep that advantage over Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay is getting hot. It's, it's following a very similar trajectory of last season, maybe even more so because now the ball's really been in Tom Brady's hands this year. Uh, the, the thing about that game last night that I was so stunned by was, okay, you hear all these COVID additions. COVID list additions, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Tyler Higby, which cost me my fantasy game. Um, <laughs> the fact that they still came out and did what they did to Arizona in that game was truly impressive. Cardinals, man, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. They, they have a hard time winning at home. Yeah, it's crazy. They're 7-0. and They're 7-0 and on the road, yeah. and they're 3-3 three and three at home this season. It's, it's, uh, it's remarkable. Now, one of those, one of their three losses was without Kyler Murray. It was when the, you know, when Colt McCoy was in as the backup quarterback, but I'm with you, Wes, watching the, watching the game against the Rams. The most surprising thing to me about that entire game was simply that the Arizona Cardinals, the Rams held the Arizona Cardinals to just 20 points and they did not have their number one cornerback in Jalen Ramsey out there to try to cover, try to cover Deandre Hopkins. The uh, um, the Rams didn't let Hopkins go nuts, and uh, and as a result, and then once Matthew Stafford kind of got got going with his arm, he made some big time throws in that game, and uh, and and the Rams got on a roll, putting up a bunch of points, and they were able to hang on. We we talk a lot, and obviously it's where we are. We talk so much about Brian Gutekunst and you know and Matt Lafleur and in that relationship and being able to find the talent and develop the talent and get the talent producing. What less need and you know, Sean McVay have done in L.A. is impressive. You know, they, they lose Cam Akers earlier this season. You go into this game, it's Sony Michelle, and Michelle gave them a, a very capable performance, a manageable down in distance. Matthew Stafford was as good, was looked solid. Um, you know, you saw Beckham have his best game probably so far with them. Yep. They looked dynamic and dangerous, and if they can put that together, they're going to be a real problem for teams down the stretch. Arizona is just such an interesting thing. They're an interesting team to watch because you see a game like that where they can't run the ball at all. They don't have Chase Edmonds back yet, and it's all in Kyler Murray's hands, and Kyler Murray's an exceptional player. But there were just elements of that game where even when they were kind of making that run late, you're just like, I just think the Rams are too balanced, and here they are now, three teams at 10-3, and the Packers with that conference advantage to have the number one seed right now. You have to defend that territory. Yeah, well, the Rams with two big interceptions of Murray in that game, one that took a potential touchdown off the board, another one that set up a touchdown for Matthew Stafford and that offense. Those two turnovers were really the difference in the game. And now 
even though the Cardinals still have a one-game lead on the Rams in the NFC West, that division is completely up yep. for grabs because the Cardinals still have to play the Cowboys. They still have to play the Colts, which is a, a team that's coming on strong. The Rams by no means have an easy schedule or anything like that, but the fact that now they've gotten the split with the Cardinals, they've split their two games with them one and one, they're sitting one game back. I'm sure they feel pretty confident they, they could uh, – the Rams could catch uh, could catch the Cardinals and then and then make a push for a for a high seed in well, the playoffs as well. And then you got the 49ers just kind of sitting in the back seat waiting for this thing to see how it all plays out. I mean, the playoffs start today. The 49ers are the sixth seed. I mean, it, that that division is really going to be interesting to watch. And from Green Bay and Tampa Bay's perspective, Green Bay has a little bit more tougher competition based on those matchups with the AFC, but. Really, those two teams just got to kind of take care of business within their division here, you know, and they're going to be able to have a real significant chance at that bye. It, I said this last night after the game, Mike. I mean, buckle up. You know, the NFC yeah. race here is going to be down to the wire. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, no question about it. One last thought here quickly before we go. Packers fans, if you're looking for holiday gift ideas, Team Historian Cliff Crystal's book, The Greatest Story in Sports, is now available at the Packers Pro Shop. The four-volume hardcover book, tells the book set, excuse me, tells the true complete story of the Packers first century from humble beginnings to heartbreaks and triumph. Buy your copy online or in store today. I need, to, I need him to sign my copy yet. I didn't get here on Saturday. I was out of town. My nephew had a state swimming meet. Congratulations, Aiden. He's going to nationals. All right. Yeah. He's a very talented young man, but I didn't get my book signed. I need to get my book signed. Cliff, I need you to sign my book, <laughs> please. <laughs> All right. You heard him, Cliff. Get on that. All right. I'm sure Cliff is a big listener to Packers <laughs> yeah. Unscripted. He's with us every day, right? With that, we do have to go. We'll sign off here on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.